Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Holy and gracious God, thank you for the gift of this community and for the way that we discern and do our work together. Open our hearts to your scripture that we might see what it is calling us to do and who it is calling us to be. Open my mouth that my study and my reflection might be acceptable to you in a vision of where you are calling us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So on Wednesday, Facebook reminded me of a post from five years ago. You know how this is, a little walk down nostalgia. And for me, it was a reminder that five years ago this week, I put my green apron, uh, Starbucks apron on for the last time after working with the company for about seven and a half years. And I have to say, there is nothing like working in the service industry to give you a daily dose of humility. Can I get an amen? amen? Oh yeah, you guys have worked in the service industry. Or you just do what I ask, I don't know. <laughs> and it reminded me of a story. About 10 years ago, I uh, was a young assistant manager that had the honor and the horror, and I say that truly, of being the assistant manager at the Oak and Rush store for Starbucks. Now, maybe unlike me, Maybe you do not have a map in your head of every Starbucks location in the city of Chicago. So the Oak and Rush store is in the heart of the Gold Coast. The Gold Coast, um, maybe you're new to the city, and so let me just tell you a little bit about the Gold Coast. It is full of men and women that have lived a very different lifestyle than I have been accustomed to living. Um, for many, it might be what is known or seen as the good life. And by that, I mean it's this idea that money can buy happiness in the form of multi-million dollar homes along the lakeshore, expensive electronic toys, and perhaps even a house uh, that is staffed with people to care for your every need. The good life, uh, the folks that often sometimes stereotypically live in the Gold Coast have this idea that happiness is in form of a bank account with lots of zeros on it. And I know maybe we have sometimes lots of zeros in our bank account, but there's a negative sign in front of it, or maybe not, I don't know. Uh, but I'm talking positive here. Um, and so that's the Gold Coast. But it's interesting how our perception about the good life is um, maybe not true, because I tell you, I've never actually been in a store with such angry and unhappy customers before. One particularly busy morning, a middle-aged woman in a floor-length fur um, walked into the store, and she bypassed this line of six to seven people that were, was forming, and she went, walked right up to the register. I was standing behind the pastry case, and so I I called out, oh, hey, um, there's actually a few people ahead of you. Can you wait back here? Now, 
maybe she woke up on the wrong side of the bed, or uh, maybe she's nice after her caffeine, um, or maybe she was embarrassed by being called out, um, but she became unglued and she asked for a manager. So I came from behind the pastry case to talk to her face to face, and I said, I'm the manager. And um, that was not the answer that she hoped for. Uh, she stood there in her fur-length coat that probably cost more than my annual salary. And she looked at me with contempt. And I don't remember everything that she said, but the vibe, have you all seen the video of the Michaels lady and the Pete's lady in Lakeview? There were obviously, um, in my case, no racial um, prejudice overtones, but there was defini definitely economic um, overtones. Um, the one phrase I do remember is, you must have nothing better to do with your life than to be a line Nazi on a power trip. I kept my calm and um, I apologized profusely because I had been taught that the customer's always right, even if they're not. And I offered to buy her a drink and when she left, I went into the back room and I cried. <laughs> Why did I cry? Um, because she clearly had struck a nerve. What was I doing with my life? Was coffee service really all there was to me? And because I didn't know what I was doing with my life, was I a lion Nazi on a power trip? I had this vision of wanting to live a good life. And yet, it was so hard, and I couldn't figure out why it wasn't working. We'd been living in the city for maybe six months at that time, and we were having trouble paying our bills, because it's expensive in the city, I'm sure you all know. We didn't really have any friends. We had come from this tight-knit community. You know, like when you're in graduate school or university and you're living, like it's this tight-knit community. And we moved to a city where we didn't know anybody and we had no friends. And I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life. And then mean ladies at work would yell at me. <laughs> Was this really the good life? It sure didn't feel like it. So I've been throwing out this idea of the good life. And I think you know what I mean, but I'm going to tell you what I mean just in case. The concept of the good life is it's actually really old. Um, it started with Aristotle. He, Aristotle. Aristotle. <laughs> started with Aristotle. Um, he talks a lot about, um, I'm going to use two Greek words today, and I don't know Greek, so if you know Greek, shout it back at me. Um, but he, he talks about, a lot about uh, living a life of eta Demonia, um, which is happiness. Happiness or joy, that's the good life. And he breaks it down into three areas. He says, a good life is a life of pleasure, a life of political activity, and a life of philosophy, which I interpreted as a connection to God, right? Asking these questions of life, what is life about? But I think in, I don't know, in America, in Chicago, I, in all of the world, we have taken this idea of living a life, the good life, to only mean a life of pleasure. 
we have forgotten about the political activity and philosophy, and we think that happiness comes through pleasure. And so happiness becomes, it's that salary, that perfect salary that allows us to buy everything we deem necessary, and by necessary I mean electronic technology things that we actually don't need. It means, it means like a house, an uh, apartment that maybe it has a little bit more square footage than we currently have, right? That's, that's what's necessary. It means um, being able to eat out regularly because we deem that necessary. They're really not necessary, right? The good life, see, it begins with a desire. Maybe at first it's a desire for a job because we don't have a job. And then we get a job, and, and, and then it's a desire for a different job, maybe with shorter hours, or maybe that's more intellectually stimulating, or maybe that we don't have to take home our work at night, or, uh, or maybe it's a higher salary, but we, we are never satisfied with what we have, right? We, we are constantly striving for more and more and more. A good life, at first we think, oh, a good life is is a spouse. I just want to be married. And so we date and we find somebody and we marry and then we say, good life, uh, if my spouse would just do this or if we could just do this together or if we could just be this. There's always something more that we're striving for. And as soon as we get close to grasping it, we realize it's a mirage or that there's something more and better that our hands reach out for. This good life is an insatiable quest for something that we will never attain. Because this idea of the good life, it only includes pleasure, and the idea is that more is always better. And I think sometimes we spend so much time focusing on this outward image of our good life that we ignore the inward turmoil that doesn't go away despite the things that we get or the people that we know or the outward appearances that we have that everything is okay. You know what I'm saying? And you know why this is true? Because that is a capitalistic worldview of a good life and not a spiritual worldview. See, spiritual worldview, spiritual wisdom teaches us that less is more. Jesus taught us in this scripture passage today, he turns the world upside down and teaches us the opposite of what we see as supposing to be true. He takes what is called in the Greek Markorian, Markorian, again, another Greek word I don't know how to pronounce, but it means fortune and a happy statement. He takes this idea that was commonplace at the time, this happy statement, if you will, about living the good life if you will, and he turns it upside down. He reverses the value system of the first century and certainly the value system of today. And so he tells us that those who have value, as Kara reminded us, are the poor and the hungry and those who weep. That the privileged position is not the fortunate position or the happy or well-off place. As my store at Oak and Rush can attest. He seems to be saying that the good life is not what we are striving for as a means of pleasure. Because that's inevitably superficial and material. 
We're never going to get there, y'all. We're never going to get there. Instead of a good life, what we think of, it's almost like Jesus is saying we should strive for a good enough life. One that is full of beauty and wonder and also heartache and tragedy. It's a life that does not expect good things, but then invites God to be a part of it anyway. The grief, the uncertainty, and the peace, and everything in between. So Eugene Peterson is a um, pastor and theologian, and he took um, all of the Greek and Hebrew of the Old and New Testament and, and uh, translated it and then tried to put it in modern-day language, and we call it the message. So I want you to hear some of these words from the message that come from the scripture passage we read, but instead of happy are those or blessed is those, I'm putting in the words the good enough life. So listen to this. Hear what Jesus is saying in this sort of updated version. The good enough life, happiness and joy, right, is found when you're at the end of your rope. Because with less of you, there is more of God and God's rule. The good enough life is when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Because only then you can be embraced by the one who is most dear to you. The good enough life is when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. Because that's the moment you find yourself proud owners of everything that can't be bought. See, at first glimpse, it doesn't make sense. And yet when we sit with these words, we realize they make sense. And that's probably why you're here today, because this world doesn't make sense. And we're longing for a story, a gospel story that, that makes sense, that tells the truth about us and who we are. That's what the gospel does, is flip everything upside down in order for us to be in tuned with God. Because when we do that, we're not living the good life, at least not what we think of in this capitalistic worldview. We're living it in a spiritual worldview. We're living a good enough life. So that's our sermon series. Surprise! Good enough life. The good enough life. It doesn't mean, the good enough life doesn't mean that we're not striving for excellence and that we don't want like our um, sound to crackle, right, and be like, oh, it's it doesn't mean we go through life doing a half-assed job. But it does mean that we sit in the life we have and look around at the situation and cultivate a, a place of gratitude and peace within us for what we have and for where we are. It means we look around and we discover what does bring us joy. And hopefully God is part of what brings us joy because we, God is in us and we are in God and should bring us joy. But it means we cultivate relationships with the Almighty One, with God, that lead us through a life of hope in our ups and downs. It leads us down a path where we realize that 
we love our neighbor and we do justice to our neighbor and we, we live loyally and kindly in this world. Because remember Aristotle's what the true good life is, which I'm calling the good enough life. It's a life of pleasure, political activity, and philosophy. That's a good enough life. So this full, this spiritual understanding of a good enough life, it kind of reminds me of a scripture passage from Micah 6.8. Anybody know that one? Probably. It's like one of your memory verses sometimes. It goes like this. He has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Does that sound like pleasure and political activity and philosophy? So over these next three weeks, we're going to be continuing to examine this good enough life, a life that is in tune with God, a life that acknowledges that God makes beautiful things and people, a life that is fair and just to our neighbor. That's why we do MLK, y'all. It's not because we're politically correct. It's because it comes out of this good life a life that is full of compassion and loyal and love and that takes God seriously. And so come back next week. Y'all, we're gonna, next week we're going to be talking about a just life. What does it mean to live a just life? Before we go, though, I want to end with one final story. A couple of months ago, I was talking to my therapist about a situation and Basically, I had to do a task, and it was a really hard task. And I did the task fine. And then when it was over, I was sort of overwhelmed by it, and I like cried. Kind of sounds like the lady situation at Starbucks. Maybe this is a pattern in my life I need to repeat in therapy or examine. I don't know. But I tell you this because I think probably we all do these things. We do hard things, and then we kind of collapse at the end of them. Yes? Please give me an amen so I know I'm there. Okay. So in my mind, living the good life, again, not good enough, but the good life, would have meant that I did this difficult task and then I went on with my life without um, shedding a tear or breaking a sweat. And that if this difficult task had affected me, that maybe I could have just like made a painting about it that everybody could look at. But it wouldn't have really affected me, right? It wouldn't have caused me to break down. And so I sat there in my therapist's office frustrated at how I'd handled the end of this task. And my therapist said, that was really hard for you. And you did good enough. Good enough. Now those were jarring words for me at the time because I didn't want to hear that I did good enough. I wanted to hear that I was, you know, I wanted to have done excellently and perfectly. But as I have been reflecting on them, I think she might have been on to something. Don't tell her. She's right. For all those ways that you feel like you're barely surviving today, but that you make it through, that's a good enough life. And God is with you in it. And you're not alone because I guarantee you the person that you are sitting next to is feeling a struggle too. Not the same struggle. 
not the same situation, but the same struggle. Welcome to our life that's good enough. We're all living these good enough lives, lives of brokenness and mystery and promise that ultimately bring us together as a community and spring us forth into action. So today, today I invite you to live with gratitude and joy and, you know, probably a little angst. A good enough life. And know that Jesus has already said, Jesus has already said that is exactly, that is the very place where blessing and happiness will find you.